Welcome to the Build the Future podcast, where we share compelling visions for what the future might look like. Visions that inspire you, instill a sense of wonder, and get you thinking about the possibilities of tomorrow. I'm your host, Cameron Weesey, and today we're exploring the possibility of an alternative education model with Kelly Smith, the CEO of Prenda. Prenda is building a new type of school called a micro school that blends in-person interaction and technology to create a personalized learning program for kids that focuses on mastery and responsibility. In this episode, we talk about alternative education models like Prenda, the role of developing a growth mindset, how the matrix relates to education, and how Prenda is working to develop the next generation of empowered learners. So let's jump right into our conversation with Kelly Smith of Prenda. First of all, I'm like really excited about the entire landscape of the future of education. But one of the things that excites me about Prenda is, is this micro school model, because to me, it seems to serve, it's like, it takes the best parts of like the homeschooling model and the social and support mechanisms of the traditional education system. So I'd love for you to tell me a little bit more about how you view the role of, well, first of all, like the role of education changing um, now into the future, and then how alternatives like Prenda are going to shape that landscape. So we could spend maybe the first 10 hours or so just on the future of education. It's, uh, it's changing a lot and, and it's exciting to be part of it, to be honest. You know, education's been around a long time. It's provided a really critical, kind of played this critical role in society. But, you know, it's the technological peer. You know, when we talk about it like a traditional model of education. This was invented around the same time as a train, a steam engine, and a, and a telegraph. These are not new structures and it's exciting finally, after a long time, that there are, are tools and there are, are other reasons why things, things can be rethought and reconfigured a little bit. And that's exciting for me to see. So we talk about where's education going. In, in Prenda's view, in my view, it's two words, which is empower learners. And when we talk about that, it sounds like, oh, yeah, that's, of course, like every school should be empowering kids, you know, as learners. But if you look closely at it, it's really evolved in a way that that's much more around education as a thing that happens to you. You sort of show up, you ride the, ride the escalator, knowledge is kind of put into your head and, and you show that you have that knowledge through standardized testing. And then eventually you get these grades and a transcript and you get spit out the other end with a, a degree of some sort. And hopefully that all leads to a job and, and happiness. and bliss. So that's kind of been the, the promise, I think, of of free public education for a very long time, right? It's like, get on our escalator. It will take you somewhere great. And I think more and more people have become a little cynical about that. Even as I, as I explain it that way, it's kind of like, well, that's a little strange. Like I wouldn't necessarily do that for other aspects of my life. Like take the government designed and run system and just jump on the train and, and ride it. I would say, let me have a little agency in this. Let me decide. And many, many parents are starting to ask those questions. You brought up homeschool. We're seeing a, a trend in homeschool, formerly kind of the domain of people who felt very strongly about like religious or ideological principles. You know, there was kind of that one to two percent homeschooling 30 years ago, and they had to fight, you know, to get to that point. There, there was a lot of resistance politically and a whole interesting story there. But now there's this, there's this new type of homeschooler that's really interesting to me, which is much more about, you know, looking at my kid looking at the world as I see it and experience it and saying, what, what will my child need to be successful in that world? And then feeling like, okay, I need to give that to them. So that's, these homeschoolers are motivated by things like 
you know, how do I help them be creative? How do I help them learn grit and determination and, and a growth mindset? How do I, you know, allow them some choice in terms of what their passions are and, and sort of tailor the experience to them and who they are? These, these are all the things that people are looking for when they make a decision to pull out and homeschool. Um, but for everyone that, that makes that decision, there's another 10 parents saying, yeah, that, that all sounds great. Like I would love that, but it's, it feels really hard and alienating and isolating and it's just me and my kids. And so Prenda's really trying to give those benefits of homeschool to people that wouldn't otherwise do it. And we do that through communities and micro schools that we can get into what that's all about. But backing up again, just to where I see education going, empowerment of learners. You know, we talk a lot about what's the point of education in the first place. And for me, it's about helping these young people grow to the point where they have this confidence and skills to, to learn anything they want, to do anything they want, and hopefully using that to contribute in a meaningful way and make the world better. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating how our, our traditional, you know, even the, the education system I went through is it like boxes you in, right? So if you're different at all, if you're curious or wanting to be creative, I mean, just by the way the system designed is you're you're forced to conform. And one of the struggles for me and things that excites me about Prenda and these alternative models is like you can help kids develop that that growth mindset and that agency, which is increasingly more important because the traditional tracks are sort of going away, right? You have to be able to adapt and change your career. Yeah, we could debate for a long time. And there are people that will say like the traditional tracks are here to stay. Um, yeah, look, I mean, I think there are structural constraints like you're talking about. And I, I meet teachers all the time, you know, longtime public school veterans that are doing amazing work. They're constantly saying, I'm hampered by this such and such standard or this such and such. Or sometimes it's like a toxic internal culture in my district or my school. Where there's all these different things that are not an adult and kids, right? All these other things kind of can, can add up to tying people's hands a little bit. There are, it's really important to point out, amazing counterexamples to this, right? People that just heroically, in spite of all that, show up day after day. I had a teacher in third grade that cared about me and it was, it sh- shined through so powerfully that I like still remember feeling loved and accepted. And I felt a strong desire to learn and, and be part of my education. You know, she was still inside of a pretty traditional system. I got to do a program as an elementary school student that pulled me out one day a week with other kids. And we got to do much more like creative work and problem solving. And I lived for that day, you know, that was, that was the best. And, and so a lot of these things have been done and, and are, there's a lot of great examples of, of people inside of the system that are trying to do this. What I'm trying to do is think of a way that, that that can be available and made available more consistently to more kids and to not have it depend on, you know, this one teacher just taking it all on her shoulders or this one school having the resources to hire an additional teacher for some other program. It's, I want it to be, Hey, everyone, every child, you have gifts and abilities and potential. And I want you to be able to find those in a loving, safe environment and develop yourself as a learner so that you can reach that potential. So kind of big and it it transcends some of the things that people talk about in the sense of K-12 education. But really, if you imagine kids getting to that point, it's almost scary what they'll accomplish. Like these kids are going to take us to Mars, find vaccines, cure cancer. Like everyone's going to be living like we need all of these things. Society can 
can still grow by leaps and bounds. And where is that going to come from? It's going to come from a generation of, of humans that figure stuff out, right? And, and they're going to need that, these types of skills and habits and mostly just that, that mindset of a real empowered learner. I think it is very important not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. To your point, there are great, like, great teachers who, who care so much. They're showing up. They're often, I mean, underpaid, but they're showing up day in, day out, and they're doing their best to like, help support their students and, affect, and like, influence that sphere. Absolutely. And so I think there's, yeah, there's the, the model. There's a lot of people who are working on how do they empower teachers in the existing structure and then help them work with the incentives of you know, the school board and providing data so that schools can see, like, you know, oh, these kids are making progress. And then there's the other, other approaches, which is kind of what, you guys, what you're working on. Tell me a little bit more about kind of how you're, how you're approaching it at Prenda. So Prenda is a network of, of micro schools. Our plan is to allow a normal person that cares a lot about kids to step up and run a micro school. Uh, often this is the mom of one of the kids in the class. Um, she will be trained and, and supported and equipped. We send things, we train her, uh, we teach her how to do it. We provide software and resources and tools that she needs. And then we pay her to, to run that money. So we take a good portion of the funding that comes to us for education and give it directly to this. We call her a learning guide. In part, that's because she's not teaching. So the goal here is not to like reinvent or even um, like extend on the traditional teaching profession. There's a lot of science to you know how do kids learn. We're not asking this learning guide to invent that to write um, lesson plans. The the real challenging work that she does, which is I would argue the most important work in all of education, is to connect one on one with human beings, to care about them to see them, you know, in their potential and value. And then oftentimes that requires the tireless work of, of kind of iterating and trying different things and, and being that coach and mentor that can truly motivate and change lives one at a time. And our micro schools are five to 10 kids. So there's a, a small group. They meet in often in a home. So there's this comfortable, informal setting. Uh, it's hyper local. So they often, you know, know each other through music or sports or neighborhood things. And as these kids come together in the environment, kind of curated and facilitated by this, this loving learning guide, that's when we've seen some really amazing things happen in terms of empowering kids as learners, where they really accept that responsibility and, and step up and start learning well beyond what's mandated or what they, they have to do. And those are exciting times for us when we see kids that just make choices and, and they start digging in and following their interests and, and learning in ways that no one's forcing them to do. Yeah, it's, it's giving these kids the opportunity to, to be creative and to explore their genuine curiosity, right? Right, That's lot, lots of it is, is creativity. I think it's coupled with work ethic and, and goal setting, and there's kind of a, a discipline and a drive to it too. So one of our learning modes is called conquer mode, and we give kids, you know, look, here's what the state says is third grade math. Here are all the things that you should learn as a third grader for math. So we're aligned to state standards and, and we actually don't run away from that. We use the word conquer to say, look, here it is. Here's a mountain of stuff. Let's climb it, right? And we help kids get in the pattern of, you know, daily looking at, at their progress, setting incremental goals, like today I'm going to get from here to here. And then they move that little bit and celebrate the wins. And when, when it's difficult, they get to dig in and, and deal with all of the psychology and emotion that, that come with that, right? There's, 
tears a lot in a friend of micro school. There's, there's kids running into their, you know, it's called a learning frontier. There's a, this, um, the scientists call it the zone of proximal development, but it just basically means there's like what I know and what I don't know. And when you run into that frontier, that's scary, right? It, it like pushes you into a really uncomfortable spot as a human. So yeah, to complement all of the, we do tons of creative stuff, tons of collaborative activities, but it's not all fluff and fun and everybody's just like, do whatever you want. It's okay. Like there's also the sense of like, I'm going to dig in and work and achieve things. And so you kind of put those two together and you now have what I'd call an empowered learner that's ready to take on the world. Are there, are there age, age restrictions on who can open a micro school? Like what, what are the, what are the requirements there? Prenda today is set up for K through eight. So typically it's organized in three grade levels at a time, which is following kind of what Montessori does. So there's K through two, three through five and six through eight. Um, But yeah, we've, you know, we have friends who are doing interesting things in high school and preschool. Uh, There's, there's all kinds of places you can get involved. Yeah. Uh, So after eighth grade, I feel like there's a chance that you, you instill this growth mindset in kids and then, and then what? right? Like what do they, what do they do after? Cause I, I can imagine throw, like being thrown into like my high school, having this belief that I can build anything and have to conform to that like box again. Yeah. It's a good question. The analogy is probably like adult learners who go back to college, right? So there are people who like later in life for whatever reason, like they didn't get a degree and now they're like, I want this degree. I want it for this purpose, this purpose. It's not just like I'm riding an escalator. It's like, I'm very like deliberate about what I'm looking for. And those people, when you watch them in school, they take a very different approach, right? It's like, there's no time for (laughs) kind of like waste, right? So they're able to kind of like satisfy any sort of demands or check the boxes, but it's really for them. It's about self-actualization, right? Like setting a goal for themselves and accomplishing that goal. So my hope is that we get kids ready by age 14 to be that type of empowered learner with the goal for myself, for many of those kids, that's going to include high school, right? And college probably too, but it doesn't have to. If it doesn't, you know, if it, if it does include high school, my hope is that they would show up with like, these are the things I, I think I'm interested in. These are the things that I'm going to do because the government tells me I have to, but like, that's a trade I'll make, right? And you just like, you adapt to, to whatever system. It doesn't have to crush your soul at that point because you've you've now accepted a different way. You've taken the red pill. You, you like accepted a different way of being. And so you can function. And we, we've seen this. We have some kids that have, have transferred over and, you know, they'll complain to me and say, it's kind of boring or whatever, but it's fun that they don't have to define themselves around that, right? So they can satisfy the requirements, still dig in and read a book that they care about. Uh, and I'll see them, you know, working on their hobbies and passions and interests on the side, which is exactly what's going to bring them you know, fulfillment and, and happiness in their life. Definitely. Yeah, going back to what you said earlier, what's, there seems to be a lot of misconceptions about, about the homeschool and, and the microschool. It's like, what are these kids doing all day, right? You'll get these great stories. They're great in a dark, twisted way. They're actually horrible, where the other parents will kind of corner your kid. Like, if you're a homeschooler, you know, you get separated at a community event or something, and other parents, you'll find them like, drilling them on state capitals or spelling words or math facts or something just because they don't believe that they're learning anything. And it's like awful that the people are that way. But, I, you know, you can kind of see in that a lot of the, the fear and, and 
One of the messages Prenda is really trying to get across is like, look, humans should transcend all of that. That's all so petty. And what if we could just be the best version of ourselves, like recognize where we fall short and, and work on it, you know, and, and grow. We see, I saw a kid come in to Prenda that was two, two and a half grade levels behind on math, according to, you know, the, the standards and what the state would say. And this kid felt bad about it. He was like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm not, maybe I'm not good at math. Maybe I need to, he had some stories in his mind that just weren't, weren't accurate, you know? And he had, I, I would call it, he was, he's a, a bright and very impressive young man. Like, but there, he was maybe in danger of giving up in some ways, right? And just kind of being like, you'll hear adults say, well, I'm not a math person, I can't do it. Uh, and to see this kid get into a, a safe place where he trusted his peers and this learning guide, and he was able to take some risks, but like get some early wins and be like, oh, this is how to do it. This is how to learn. And to see this kid go from, you know, two grade levels behind to one grade level ahead, like over a couple of years, um, it's just really cool. And, and that he can apply to whatever he wants, right? So it doesn't have to be math. It can be, you know, if he wants to be the best, you know, pottery sculptor in the world, he can, he can be that. And, and I actually have no question that he would. I mean, these kids are capable of, of so much. So it's just once they can set their sights on something and then build the habits and the, the work ethic that will get them there. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's, it's one of, and it's one of those things like, man, imagine that mindset developed early on in everybody. Like, yeah. What did they go do? I kind of had that, that shift a couple of years ago. I, I grew up I'm like, I'm not a math person. I, I don't get it. And what I realized was, Oh, at some step along the way, things got challenging or I like didn't understand a concept and then I had to move to memorizing. And then that's when it turns to like, it's no fun. I don't understand what the integrals are doing in like my calculus class, Yeah, um, but I know the formula. So I'm just going to memorize it and see if I can pass. Yeah. It's like, and people say, and I think we all know about the stories of the, the ones who, you know, for, for whatever reason, like learning disabilities or socioeconomic purposes where they, they fall behind and, and the system kind of just piles, piles on them. I've met so many millionaires today, people who have been really successful at business or whatever they did, that were not good at school. I mean, they're, they're like, look, it was not easy for me to do, to do the way it worked in school. And, and I felt like a loser. And it, even still, they'll talk to me in, in ways that, that are like self-deprecating in a negative way. I want to just grab them by the lapel and be like, look. Like that was fake. What you've done is succeeded in life. And there's no, there should be none of this in your, your mind or your thoughts at all. There's, there should be definitely not in someone successful, but even if someone's not, I mean, I want to take everyone and just be like, can we just get that out and just not worry about, oh, this is me versus other people. And, and by the way, like letter grades and some of these things reinforce all of this. I mean, they're, they're like built to, to almost compare and contrast kids, you know? So that, that there's some like uphill climb that I think a lot of people have to do in order to get there. But it's important to recognize that people, human beings are capable of way more than we, we give them credit for. And it's fascinating how that plays out in the professional world too. It's like, oh, I got a promotion or I got a raise, right? It's like totally. the new, it's like another scorecard. Absolutely. It's designed that way. Yeah. And you do see this. So I went to MIT for grad school. I was one of those kids that had gotten good grades on everything. And MIT has a, a big problem with this because all of a sudden you go from being the first in your class to like the lower, you know, half of your class, just like that. And it's like, um, it's a, it's like a trial of, of fire, you know, it sounds people that 
you know, maybe if you didn't go to MIT, you'd be like, oh yeah, yeah, that sounds awful. It like really is awful because all of a sudden your whole life is set up around good job, A plus, you did it. And now you're like, I got a 13 out of 39 on my first test. This, was, this is a true story in grad school. I got a 13 points out of 39, magnetohydrodynamics. I still, I think I kept the test. I mean, it was just like, what the heck? I looked at it, I was like, I don't know what to do with this. It was stunning. And then not only did I not know the material and I wasn't able to do the math, it was like, I didn't even know how to learn. So I felt like <laughs> very disoriented and lost. And that can happen. I mean, in some form or another, that's going to happen to everybody. A lot of people, it happens much sooner than that. And they build this narrative that's in part self-preservation, right? Which is like, school's stupid. I don't care. You know, and then they go through and do other things or I can't do it. I'm dumb. I'm a B student. You'll hear people say there's all these great that have actually like almost like immersed themselves in our vocabulary. Right. And they're all just like the wrong message. It's like, it's these labels on ourselves that limit us. Uh, and what I'm trying to do with education, you, you talk about the future of education. Like what I want to get to is a, a world where it's not at all about these external labels or metrics. It's about reaching your potential as a human being. That sounds lofty and fluffy, but that's what I'm trying to do. But see, like, I mean, lofty and fluffy is not how I would describe it. It's like, it's important, right? And, and we're, we see this in adults too. And I mean, we all have things that we're, we're constantly working on. I have skills I'm working to, to build. I'm sure you do too. And like, Absolutely. you're running a Prenda and it's like, you have to learn new things all the time. You start out knowing virtually nothing and then you learn a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And it's just like, it's an incremental process. And yeah it requires that, that mindset that, hey, I can do this. I can learn this. I can go start a company that changes the landscape of education or like empowers kids. And so if we get that mindset shift across the board. Yeah, no, seriously, like I tell my kids, like, what do you wanna do? You know, my son had this idea for, he's 12 now, but when he was maybe nine or 10, he was tired of like taking dishes out of the sink, putting them in the dishwasher, because, you know, that's his chore. And then, like, taking them out of the dishwasher after the machine. This is still, like, fully, basically automated. But he's, like, annoyed with this, like, process. I'm like, look, if you want to, you could get really good at robotics and solve this. You could have, like, imagine, like, a slot. You just kind of, like, put your stuff in there. It just, like, takes care of it. And then it's back in the cupboard, like, at the other end. I was like, you could invent that, you know. And it was this weird moment for him to be like, what? Like, what do you mean I could invent that? He's like, I don't know how, I don't know how robots work. I don't know how that, that, that. I'm like, hey, you don't yet know those things, but why, if you really wanted to make that your life goal, I have no doubt that you could make that thing, you know? And it's pretty cool. Like, I would love it if there was a whole generation of, of kids growing up believing that and practicing it. It doesn't have to be perfect, life-changing everything. You hear so many stories of, of people who, you know, get really good at a musical instrument or like write a book and, and you know, even if not everybody reads the book, it doesn't matter. It's like... The point of this is, is being your best self. Yeah, and, and it, it's, there's, it reminds me of, there, there's a book, The Inner Game of Tennis. I'm not sure if you've read it, but it's, it's all about like, you're playing your own, your own game, right? It's like, oh my you, gosh. you have to compete against, against yourself. It doesn't matter if Joey or Kelly are further along or if they're better than you at math or science. Like, you've got your own scorecard that you, you should be playing against. Like, you're competing against you, not anyone else. I love it. I played tennis up until ninth grade. And I remember even at a young age, like noticing that. <laughs> it's like, I'm 
but basically like defeating myself here, you know, and that was, that could be frustrating. But then you, then you stopped playing tennis. Well, I just got busy with other things. I didn't really, I don't know if I, maybe I just didn't love it enough, but I didn't give up because of that. I just, okay. <laughs> I remember though, in those matches, I'd be like, the only reason I'm losing right now is because I just cannot get my thinking straight. You know, yeah, it's, it's, it's a mindset thing is what I think ultimately what it comes down to. Totally. Like, how are you, how are you viewing it? And then I think that extends further, like beyond just the student's mindset, but to the mindset of, of the parents and to the culture at large. Yeah. We're starting to see this understanding of, or well, I, I guess my, let me know if like how you view this, but my, my take is that you have these parents or these people now who are having kids grew up in the system and they realized like, Oh, this didn't actually work for me. Like I've had to go learn all these things on my own or, you know, I've had this negative mindset around my math skills. I don't want my daughter or my son to, to do, to have to go through that as well. So it's like, what are the other options? Yeah, I I do agree with that, except I think it's not, um, it's not like readily obvious the problem, right? So it's, it's like you kind of live your life and you're like, yeah, you know, I like got good grades in school and then I went to a good college and grad school and I got a job and yeah, I wasn't like engaging. I didn't really love it. I, I jumped through a bunch of hoops, but you're, it was fine. You know, it wasn't like terrible. I, there are people, unfortunately, that are harmed, you know, hurt at school, either bullying or like trauma. All, there's all kinds of terrible things. But you know, for a lot of people, it's like, yeah, it was, it's not the best, but it was fine. There's this great Paul Graham essay, but he talks about seeing the future. It's like envisioning this future state and then like backing into. So if you could like the stuff we've been talking about so far, which is a whole world of people that have the confidence to work on Mars missions or curing cancer or inventing vaccines so that no more pandemics like shut us down and, and automatically putting away our, our dishes so we don't even have to like pick them up. Like all, this whole long list of things that like belong in the future and you like really can get your head there. And then you come back and look at today. It's like, oh, like we're like, this sucks. We're like, we're far short. You know, then it becomes an urgent, it becomes urgent. Cause it's like, no, 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 this isn't going to get us there. Like what we're doing right now, it, it'll be okay. It's not like going to kill us, but it's, it's not that, you know, and, and how can we get that? And what I want, I wrote this blog post that talks about, uses the matrix analogy of like a blue pill and a red pill. The idea is like many of us take the blue pill, which is you just kind of go to school, do the things, get the grades, get the transcript, go to college, hopefully get a job. It's this trust in an existing system. And if you remember the movie, the point is there's this scary but true reality that actually isn't that, right? And, and so that's what I'm almost getting parents. I, I'm asking parents to come with me to take the red pill, which is all about um, learning, right? It's like, no, this should be about who am I, what am I capable of, and I'm going to learn everything that, that's necessary to get me there. And that's, you know, like, it's scary to do that, to take a different pill. But in a way, yeah, we've, like, people ask me all the time, like, what is the demographic for Prenda parents? And we have people in inner city with very low income. We have people in um, Native American communities. We have su- suburbs, middle class, upper class. We've got rural. We've got urban. We, I mean, we've got people from all different like places and skin colors and everything else. The one thing they have in common is that red pill, right? It's like they're willing to look at education and say, 
No, this should be about learning and empowering my kid as a learner. And once they make that leap, it's amazing because the parents then are like the allies and advocates and in these micro schools form. And by the way, often the parents are, you know, involved as they can be in education. So it becomes this like community, almost like rallying cry, like, and the kids feel it and they respond to it. And it's, it's just really, it's all really empowering. and It's cool to see it happen. So I guess when you're communicating the mission apprentice school and parents are exploring data, do they usually come to you guys with like having already taken the red pill in this example, or have you seen the mindset shift? It's both, right? I mean, there are definitely like blue pill parents that immediately, like they might end up on our website or something, but they look at it and they're just like, what? (laughs) You can tell by like the first question is like, when do they learn state capitals? You know, it's like, well, and that's, I don't mean that in a negative way. There's parents who are like, in fourth grade, you should learn state capitals. And that's a belief system that like, that's fine. That's not my belief system. Like, I think it's great to know state capitals if you want to know state capitals, but it's just a set of facts, you know, an array of like 50 by two. So if I memorize that array, then I know state capitals. It's, you know, so it's just a totally different way of thinking about things. So we'll get people that bounce immediately, but oftentimes there are people who are like, they like the idea of the red pill, but it's still a little scary. And yeah. so they'll kind of like spend some time with us. They'll talk to guides. We try to be really upfront with people about things that, that are in your way, like things you could just let go of. And one of that is like we've been talking about, just these frequent obsessive comparisons to other people, like none of that being helpful or, or positive in any way. So um, yeah, they're willing to, I mean, you just have to kind of like name it and see it and, and people are happy to come along. And when they see the kind of the love of learning start to, to light up in their kids' eyes, like that's an exciting moment too, because the parents then are like, okay, like this, we made the right decision. Like these kids are going to be just fine. It's cool too, because my guess is that most parents think like, oh, well, I either send my kid to public school or, or private school or like, or I have to homeschool, right? And so right. they discover this middle ground and like, oh, okay, well, we can, we can try this because like something's not working for my kid. Right. They're like, oh, oh, this is really neat. Oh, my son loves math. My daughter loves science. And then I would imagine like it probably has some sort of like second order effect on the parents too. We hear all the time parents coming to us and saying like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm saying, so we have these core values we talk about all the time. And parents will sort of like repeat them back to us and be like, I've been, you know, like thinking about learning over comfort in my like day-to-day, you know, whatever, my job or my, you know, this little bit side business that I'm starting, or whatever they're doing. Yeah, it's cool. I'm, I'm always thrilled to see that happen. And we have to keep reminding ourselves when we talk about empowering learners, that doesn't actually have an age group, you know, attached to it. There's not, it's not just kindergarten through eighth graders that we're talking about. It's everybody, ourselves included. The, one of the books I found really fascinating on this one is um, Dahlia's Principles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, Hey, listen, you gotta, you gotta just embrace reality for what it is. And when you do, you can start to identify like where you can improve. Right. And then that's, that's the game. Ray Dalio is one of the few people I, you know, and they're, they're out there who are early to figure out that 99 plus percent of the time, the limitation is in your own mind, you know, and, and that's, uh, he wrote a whole book helping people, you know, kind of sharing the way he navigated through that. There are other examples of people who have kind of made similar, that same observation, but done, you know, maybe attacked it differently for them. And yeah, I I think that's a lot of what we want people to see is like, look, 
the thing that's really getting in your way here is like in tennis, it's the story you're telling yourself. It's this mindset that you're reinforcing with your thoughts. And so if you can just rewire that, it can be really empowering for you. When, when was the moment in your life when you had that, that like rewiring happen? Yeah, it's a good question. So in one way, I was a learner from the beginning. Like I always, at home, I was always tinkering and <laughs> we built, we designed a, like a roller coaster amusement park ride that went from like a tree house down to the ground in our backyard. It was probably like a 12 foot vertical drop. And we got, we tied, me and my friend tied the, the rope really tight. We had it surely and we would test it with empty you know, and then we even put a stuffed animal in it. Oh, it works perfectly. It's like this just nice ride. And, um, and this is not what you're asking for, but I'm going into the I story. I we got so I get my little brother. It's like, well, we better test this out on something living. You know, I get my little brother. who's like four years old and we tie him in there. We got him all secured and we were like about to push, which would have been terrible. Right. I'm sure our knots weren't like I was, I think I was seven. So it's not like, we should have been doing this, but my dad stopped it like just at the last second, like right before we pushed it. But I've, I've always been that type of person that was like thinking and experimenting, learning. I wouldn't have, see at the time, I wouldn't have said the word learning, right? I was learning all the time, but I thought learning was what you do at school. Yeah. And I was good at that for different reasons. So that was like, I was almost like a split personality at school. It was just, I just didn't want to get in trouble. I was really like, compliant with everything. I did all the work. I got straight A's. I was the salutatorian in my class. I was proud, secretly proud of never getting above a 91%. So I played this game perfectly, right? It was like, if I'm between 90 and 91, every class, and then I would like work the syllabus. So I knew, oh, like I've got the points. So I just can skip. I would just skip like weeks at a time. Of, so it was clearly like not motivated by learning. It was motivated by getting good grades. And I was good at that. So so I had kind of those, that split personality and, and they came colliding together in, at grad school. Like I mentioned, I had this kind of crisis where I was like, oh, I thought I was smart and I'm actually not. And uh, this, is, this is painful. Mm. And I had to kind of pull on character lessons that I had, I had kind of picked up from other aspects of my life, right? So it was like, well, I've, you know, I've done a lot of like hiking and hiking's hard. And so this is going to be hard. I'm going to have to, you know, be in pain through this whole process, but I can learn plasma physics, you know? So then I would go and like harass these teachers, like asking them questions and, you know, I'm reading tutorials and I'm like anything I can get my hands on. I'm trying to learn and I'm asking study groups, you know, to help me. And it's just like, I was just obsessed. So I had to work really hard. I was able to then, because I had found that learning frontier, I was able to like push through it. But I don't think I would have been if it wasn't for other aspects of my life where I had kind of like built up some muscle around, around learning. And then the curiosity part of me, like following my own passions, that was kind of always there, but I had sort of put it on hold because I thought, you know, a, a legitimate adult should, you know, play by the rules and like right. go to school and get a good job. And so I had kind of, I had taken a blue pill big time. And so that was actually even later where I would, even while I had stable, respectable jobs, I was like tinkering with things on the side that I thought were fun. And I'd stay up late to, you know, try to code a little app that does this. And, but yeah, I got to this point really with Prenda is kind of the first time I've done it where I was teaching kids computer programming just as a volunteer thing. So I was, I, my son was eight years old and I said, you should learn to code. And yeah, 
well, instead of doing it at home, we'll go to the public library and just open it up to the neighborhood, you know? So we were just down there with posters in the neighborhood and kids would come down and I was there every week for like five years. So it's kind of a gradual process, but um, working with so many kids, it was amazing to just see how they learned, you know, and, and how they, how these, all these ideas and principles we've been talking about, but see them in a very real context of, of learning and kids able to create amazing things and they're working on these projects and they're learning these skills. Anyway, so that was, as that was all happening, that was a transformation in me too, of just saying like, Hey, maybe I could do it. You know, maybe I don't need to sort of have a blue pill side of my life and a red pill side of my life. And, uh, and that's where it took a, <laughs> took a big risk and had some time with very little income, but thankfully it got this, you know, got this thing working and it's been, it's been a really interesting ride. Yeah. So t- tell me like, what was, what was going through your head? Cause so that was, that was code club, right? Yeah. Started that in 2013. My son was eight years old. We spent, yeah, every week I'm watching these kids come to code club. They would say, school's hard. School's boring. I hate school. I'm always in trouble, whatever. Like they're having these issues. And then I'm watching their brains work right before my eyes. I can see them solving problems, right? Cause coding is all about logic and problem solving. And so I'm watching how they think. I'm like, dude, you're capable of like acing everything. Like it was like no question about ability in my head, right? Because I can see what they're doing. And so then it's like, well, what is it about if it's not about ability, right? And that was, this is kind of what gradually got me into education at all, right? Because now I'm like, if, if they're capable of it and they're just not doing it, like maybe there's an environment where they would just choose to do it. Like Code Club was one of those environments. Yeah. We're meeting every week after school. Parents would tell me like, my kid loves coming to Code Club so much that I use it as leverage to get them do their, to do their chores. Right. <laughs> it was like, it's like, okay, not only are you going to come like think hard, do challenging problems and prepare yourself for a future career in a tech economy. But you're also like, that's the reward that you are working for so that you're willing to do your chore. It's like, it was just like a win-win all around, you know? And, um, and it was really cool to see it happen. And I was kind of asking questions like, well, what if, you know, what if math was this way? What if science and social studies and English were this way? And that's when I started getting really interested in, you know, how education even works. I'm watching my own kids in, you know, a great neighborhood school. You know, it's highly rated and sought after. And, and I'm kind of like, wait, this, they don't have that engagement. They don't have that fire burning, you know, really interested in learning. And again, didn't blame the, you know, the individual adults. I think there are a lot of just constraints that were placed on everybody. But the question then was like, well, could we do something different? And what would that look like? So that's when I pulled, pulled my other son out of school. He was a fifth grader at the time. And I convinced six of my friends to pull their kids out of school we've got this group of seven meeting around my kitchen table and we, you know, I didn't have anything built. It was just some ideas, but called ourselves a micro school and started putting together what does a day look like kind of incorporating a lot of these lessons and these ideas that we've been talking about. Tell me about some of the, the experiments you ran with those kids. Cause I was reading your yeah. counting how many balloons you could fit into a car. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, here's one, one thing that's amazing because we talked about all of these adults that are doing great work. The internet is chock full of educational experiences, not just content, right? It's full of like great ideas for how to run things. And so one thing that gave me a lot of comfort and I'd say even confidence going into it was like, it actually wasn't about me as the like 
content creator or the, the lesson developer. Yeah. I knew that if that were the case, one, I'm just like too flaky to even do it. So we just, I would have been unprepared. We wouldn't have had anything. But two, even there, it's like, I'm just me and there's all this other stuff. So I just kind of came up with a framework that was like, okay, here's how we can do this. And, and the framework was three things. So I kind of knew that blended learning for mastery should be part of the day. Mm-hmm. Blended learning means like kids on computers, the tools are able to like adapt the curriculum so you learn at your own pace. Uh, mastery means you learn something and then you move on to the next thing as opposed to how most of school works where it's like, time's up, like you get to see, let's move on to the next, you know, like the next thing. So mastery is like you master this and then you master that and you kind of keep going. And so I called it conquer mode. It's like blended learning for mastery. And I found tools like Khan Academy's free for everybody. It covers all the math standards. So it was like, how could I just get kids to like make progress in Khan Academy? And Khan Academy of course is there for free for anyone, but most people don't use it or they don't, or they'll, they'll quickly get, you know, discouraged or give up for the human reasons. And so for me, it was like, okay, what if we could create this environment where it's, I'm going to set a goal. I'm going to say out loud what my goal is. So that's borrowing from startup culture, this idea of like a stand-up meeting. I'm going to say my goal, and then I'm going to work on my goal until I get it, right? <laughs> so it sounds really simple, but just that like really basic structure of set a goal, say it out loud, write it down, work until you get it. Um, and, and growth mindset is just like embedded into all of that because yeah. you have this faith that like, if you keep working, you will eventually accomplish that goal. And when kids meet their goal over a period of time, some days it's easy, some days it's hard, but they all, they believe that they'll get there eventually if they keep working. So we're reinforcing through the structure, you know, exactly what we want to be having kids believe about themselves. So that's one of the modes. And, and that again, wasn't me inventing stuff besides like a, framework around it but I would use these tools and we would we would just have kids set goals in the tools. Collaborate mode is the second part of the day and I knew I wanted like real deep meaningful interaction between human beings, right? Yeah. So there's people like Jeff Sandifer in the world that runs Acton Academy, people who have really dug into Socratic dialogue and what does that mean? And we just built this this model around, okay, we're gonna do a structured group activity. I will give you the guys the scaffolding, but you kids are in charge of it. So it's like, Harrison, it's your turn today. Like what topic, you know, choose an article and everybody will read the article and then come prepared to discuss. Or Faith, it's your turn. Like come up with a, an article that we can read or a, a debate topic that we can debate. And here's how debates work. We use a tool in there called Mystery Science that's just amazing. Oh yeah. yeah. Have you seen this before? And, um, and basically there's this really talented science teacher named Doug that gets on there and like blows kids minds. He does it way better than I would ever do it. And then they, um, I sort of help facilitate them on a, a path of like discussing, engaging with the, the content and then doing hands-on activities always. So they get this real world science. So I'm sure the balloons was uh, an idea that I found somewhere on the internet. I, I don't even remember where. Yeah. Um, that's, <laughs> lots of good stuff that's um that's out there and yeah it was it was really from the beginning my goal was never to create content it was to find the best content and then just fit it together in a kind of a model that that worked um, and then create mode is, is the final portion of the day just to finish that out and that's project-based learning of course there are great examples all throughout education of people who have done project-based learning really well and so it was easy to find you know, ideas and project prompts and things. We ended up kind of adapting a lot of that because 
we wanted it to be, you know, more self driven for kids and, and kind of adapted to the ages. And we, we weren't trying to, the place where project based learning gets a little bit boring is when adults try too hard to kind of align it all to, to the learning standards. So it's like, this is standard three dash a dash 24. And it, and the kids are kind of like, what? Like, it doesn't feel like a project that I'm interested in at that point. It's just kind of like, you're just, this is just a sneaky way to try to get me to like learn the standard. So we just took a lot of that out. We just said, look, we're going to cover the standards in conquer mode. So in create mode, while it will, it will touch on a lot of those standards implicitly and kids will reinforce a lot of what they're learning, but it's not like explicitly, we're not, we're, we're not going to make that trade. And so all of our, you know, project prompts are written from the perspective of if I were a kid, what would be interesting to me and, and yeah. everything's just trying to catch that fire, you know, like help kids develop the spark and care about their learning. Yeah. Cause then, then they get to pick the project. It's like, it's a, the students and the teachers are on the same level. It's like, Hey, like what, what do you want to do today? What project do you want to create versus, okay, you get to pick from one of these three options. And it's like, yeah. there's no, there's no fun there. Even that would be good. I mean, most of the time it's like, like my experience, I remember being surprised in my junior year in high school, I had this, this English teacher, AP English, Mr. Olson, I think. He let us choose books. You know, there was, he gave us like 10 that we could choose from. And I remember being like, oh, like I get to choose a book. You know, it, really, it made a big difference for me in enjoying that book. But yeah, you can imagine like applying that principle and giving kids as many choices. Basically what I say is like as many choices as we can give them, which is not you choose everything, right? Like it, it's a difference between that. And we've made some trades and, and we definitely have to, you know, there's things that we can't give them choices on, but as many places as I can, give them that choice and tell them that and, and hopefully they respond. You know, they, they do, they rise up to it and take you at your invitation to kind of own their, own their learning. No, they totally, totally do. And then, then they feel empowered and then that the agency starts to develop and you can see the growth mindset come like take shape yep. and then. That's the magic. That's it. Back to the vision. That's what we want, right? I, I love it. Um, hey, we're, we're kind of, we're getting close to the end here. Do you have any, do you have any guidance or advice for, for those who may be looking to uh, get involved in, in building the future of education? I'd say the, the advice for the future, for building the future of education is to start. Uh, I've been involved with lots of inspiring education entrepreneurs. I'd say most of, most of the waste that I see is just planning and thinking about, uh, oftentimes, if you're, if you're the type of person that has these ideas you're already in this category of, you know, thinking about it more than, than most. You should start and, and the real learning happens when you do it. So I just encourage people to take the plunge. It doesn't have to be huge, you know, get seven kids around your table. And, and by the way, if you want to open a friend of micro school, you know, check us out. Uh, we, we'd love to be a platform for you to, to do that work. But if, you, if there's something else you want to do, yeah, I would say just do it. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Build the Future podcast with Kelly Smith. If you want to learn more about Prenda, you can go to prendaschool.com or you can find Kelly on Twitter at Kelly Smith in AZ, as in Kelly Smith in Arizona. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we'd absolutely love it if you'd send it to just one friend to get them thinking about how they too can help build the future. That's it from us. Until next time, go build.